1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's Craig College Show. Identity politics bad is what I've been told. Identity politics uh, means that you care more about the identity of someone than the message itself. Essentially, you care more about the messenger than what they're telling you. Uh, whether what they're telling you can be fact-checked and proven to be true or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, we want to know more about you, person saying the thing, and all the stuff that you think and feel, because then it's going to help us understand if the things you're saying are true or not based solely on who you are and the likelihood that you have some sort of ulterior motive in the words you say and the way you say them. Uh, I'm not really supposed to play audio for more than 30, 45 seconds. It's kind of a best practice thing in the world of radio. I'm supposed to jump in, remind you that I'm the host. I'm sitting here. I'm doing stuff. I'm going to play three minutes audio uh, without saying anything. Uh, this is the second special agent whistleblower uh, that came forward today. Uh, this person had been reported on before as Agent X uh, that said that they had backed up the things that Gary Shapley said, uh, who works at the IRS, that said that the investigation into Hunter Biden and the things he did in the world of taxes, uh, the lies uh, that were told on those taxes in order to make the numbers lower, and then also write off things like prostitutes that he was paying for. All this is not challenged, by the way. I'm not saying anything controversial uh, that people are denying is true. Uh, but that inevitably lands on just three charges, and those charges all are a speeding ticket. I think that's something the former president said the other night. But again, I find this very powerful, not because I care about the identity of the person who's providing the message. I don't care. The identity doesn't matter. But because so many people do care, uh, this person who appeared today, uh, who if you dismiss the potential truth that he is sharing uh, in this statement without caring about any more facts or information being shared, I think you're doing that solely because you'll never believe and, and just decided politically that it can't be possible that Hunter Biden was treated different uh, because he's a Democrat by a bureaucracy that is likely to have a whole bunch of Democrats in it, including this person. But here, this is three minutes, uh, the opening statement of Joseph Ziegler, who is the second special agent whistleblower to come forward from the IRS. And again, because he's saying certain things that will probably be much more powerful to those who's who have dismissed this story so far than those who have thought that it's been legitimate or at least important so far. Uh, that's why I want to play it just the way that it is. Thank you, Chairman Comer, Chairman Smith, Chairman Jordan, Ranking Member Raskin, and members of the committee. Today I, I, I sit here before you not as a hero or, or a victim, but as a whistleblower compelled to disclose the truth. That said, in coming forward, I believe I'm risking my career, my reputation, and my casework outside of the investigation we are here to discuss. I ultimately made the decision to come forward after what I believe were multiple attempts at blowing the whistle in the Internal Revenue Service, at the Internal Revenue Service. No one should be above the law, regardless of your political affiliation. I humbly view my role here today as providing the facts as I best understood them and to let Congress and the administration and the public consider those facts and determine the best path forward. I recognize why I was present at the start of this investigation and was closely involved with the investigation for roughly five years. I'm just a part of the story. Others, including my colleague and supervisor Gary Shapley, who is here with me today, have their own views and understandings of what took place during this investigation. I've been an agent with the IRS since 2010. In 2007, I received my undergraduate degree from Ohio University, my MBA from John Carroll University. Prior to starting my career at the IRS, I worked at Ernst & Young 
Ernst and Young as an external auditor. Throughout my career with the IRS, I have worked a variety of successful criminal tax and money, money laundering investigations. In 2018, I transitioned to being, a, to being a part of the International Tax and Financial Crimes Group out of the Washington, D.C. field office. I was the lead IRS case agent on the Hunter Biden investigation. I've recently discovered that people are saying that I must be more credible because I'm a Democrat who happens to be married to a man. I'm no more credible than this man sitting next to me due to my, due to my sexual orientation or my political beliefs. The truth is, my credibility comes today from my job experience with the IRS and my intimate knowledge of the agency's standard and procedures. I was raised and have always strived to do what is right. Although I do have my supporters, others have said that I am a traitor to the Democratic Party and that I am causing more division in our society. I implore you to consider that if you were in my position with the facts as I have stated them, ask yourself if you would be doing the exact same thing. I hope that I am an example to other LGBTQ people out there who are questioning doing the right thing at the potential cost of themselves and others. We should always do the right thing, no matter how painful the process might be. I kind of equate this to the experience and feelings I encountered when coming out. It was honestly one of the hardest things I ever had to go through. I contemplated scenarios that would have been highly regrettable, but I did what is right, and I'm standing in, or I'm sitting here in front of you today. He's doing it again. What is right? He's deciding to step forward to tell the story the way that he sees it. And I'll play some audio of what he believes to have happened during this investigation. And guess what? It's real similar to what the other whistleblower, Gary Shapley, said happened, uh, that they were not allowed to do it the way they would normally do an investigation into a person for political reasons. And the reason I wanted to play all of that audio is the tail end, the last uh, minute of that, when he talks about uh, the amount of fear he has in any sort of um, attacks that have been levied against him as someone who's ruining the Democratic Party or, um, you know, causing more division in our society. And then he equates it to coming out as gay and saying that, you know, he had considered regrettable situations, I think is his phrasing. I don't know exactly what he means by that, if self-harm is something he's referencing there. But I just want that to be as profound as it can be to anyone listening to this show who dislikes some of the stuff that I say or the way that I say it or, or anything else out there, uh, that someone would talk about coming out and saying that Hunter Biden lied on his taxes and then got treated nicely by the IRS is the same as coming out in the world of LGBTQ and the amount of potential um, mental health things that might go through someone's uh, mind if they're struggling uh, with revealing that to people and not knowing how people would feel about it. All of those things that are so often talked about on the left as the things that matter more uh, than anything else that, that we talk about in society. This matters more. Caring about people matters more. Doing it in this way matters more, even if it's unattainable, uh, because the rules become so extreme that literally no one can live up to them. Uh, that's the problem with wokeness. But yet again, I'm going to move on from that. Uh, what I think is powerful in, in all this is it's a reference of how much the left can hate its own, how much anger can exist on the side of the aisle that says that they're the ones trying to do good and that the right are just a bunch of really terrible, horrible people and that, you know, essentially the good needs to fight off the bad here. If an individual who's saying I'm, I'm this, I'm that, I'm all these things that make people believe me more when I'm saying that the IRS didn't do its job in investigating Hunter Biden, wasn't allowed to do its job investigating Hunter Biden, and now I'm terrified for my own safety, my own health, etc., 
it means that you need to look inward, uh, people. You need to look at the side of the aisle that's claiming to be the good guys and realize just how much the bad guys can exist uh, right over there, uh, at least in, according to this statement. But I want to play in case anybody's wondering, well, maybe he doesn't think that the investigation was as as illegitimate or as wrong or as as censored and controlled as Shapley or others do. Here's what uh, Joseph Ziegler said as far as uh, the things he thinks are most important about how the IRS got this all wrong. Mr. Chairman, why have my written statement as well as my testimony before the Ways and Means Committee, I would like to touch on briefly seven specific matters. First, in a recent letter to Congress, Mr. Weiss stated that he had been granted ultimate authority over this matter, but then later stated in the same letter that his charging authority is geographically limited and that he would need a President Biden appointed U.S. attorney to partner with him in charging the case. Mr. Weiss stated that he, is, he was making all decisions necessary to preserve the integrity of the prosecution consistent with federal law, the principles of federal prosecution, and departmental regulations. In the, internal, in the criminal tax manual, Chapter 10, found on the DOJ website, tax division policy states that cases involving indiv- individuals who fail to file tax returns or pay a tax, but who also commit acts of evasion or obstruction, should be charged as felonies Boom. to avoid an equitable treatment. Uh-oh. To avoid any kind of unfair treatment, we got to charge these as felonies. You know what that sounds real similar to, by the way? is someone who not only broke the law, uh, didn't file his taxes correctly, but then tried to prevent people from rectifying those mistakes, from figuring out that those mistakes or those purposeful uh, decisions were made, whatever you want to call them, uh, you you uh, try to avoid, you try to evade, you try to hamper any investigation into you. Man, what does that sound like? What does it sound like if someone who thought that they were politically powerful enough to look at the IRS or look at government agencies and say, I know you're saying you want stuff from me, but you can go bleep off, and I can do this because I know that I'm above the law. Who does that sound like? Or at least who is that painted as being on the Republican side of the aisle? I think there's no other way to say this, and I don't want to be this much of like an attack guy on the radio all the time. That's not my goal. I, I just think these stories are so interesting now, and the slant is so significant now that it's sort of ridiculous uh, that we wind up in some of these uh, circular conversations where people won't admit something simply because of the side of the aisle you're on and the side of the aisle that's getting damaged by whatever the conversation is we're talking about. But I, I just I just cannot get over, uh, again, how significant this testimony seems to be to anyone that dismissed any of the testimony so far, uh, which means that identity politics are the only way that some people may pay attention. Maybe not. Maybe people still won't pay attention. And actually, you know what, I'll say one more thing, Uh, and this is something I've said before, but I want to say it again. And I don't mean this to be a gotcha the way it might sound like a gotcha. If you don't believe that both of those IRS agents who are whistleblowing against the IRS are telling the truth, if you think they're lying, then I would ask you, why are they lying? And if you were to say something to me like, well, someone's making them lie, someone's powerful enough to push them into a corner where they have to lie about these sort of things, you know what you're describing You're describing some sort of um, background, shady, behind-the-scenes version of a political system that is capable of forcing and influencing the way in which people behave in order to get specific things done. You're describing something that people on the right call the deep state uh, and something that people on the left say doesn't exist. You're just saying it's on the other side of the aisle. You're like, no, 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 there's no deep state over here. But over there there is because it can't be true that these people, these two individuals – 
that are whistleblowers for the IRS are being forced to say this. And then they're, you know, not being compelled by someone who would be politically benefiting from it. And so, again, that's the and I dismiss a a wide majority of the deep state as something that is not that it it can exist or doesn't exist or that powerful people with a bunch of money. I don't want to control a whole bunch of stuff. But I don't think that the delivery mechanism is good enough to control as many things as some say are under control uh, by those people. I just think too many people, you know, aren't aren't connected uh, well enough to be bought off or or threatened or whatever it might be. Uh, But again, uh, if you are to believe that those two people under oath are lying, uh, then someone is compelling them, forcing them, doing all the buying them off uh, in a way uh, that would sound eerily similar uh, to those uh, theories that are dismissed often by the left. Uh, that come from places within, uh, I think, uh, right-leaning, you know, um, uh, politics. All right, quick break, a lot more, 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's going to be a fun show. We're going to talk about other stuff. But whistleblower number two has a face, has a name, and seems to be a lot of the things, uh, a Democrat and someone LGBTQ, uh, that makes him a more valuable voice for some reason in society today, at least for some. All right, quick break, a lot more after this. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. A World War II veteran who's 104 years old uh, named Arthur Walters Jr. has told us the secret to long life. He's revealed it. It's important. I want to play it uh, because it's awesome and because the guy's a veteran. I was going to put this in good story, but I like it too much. I'm going to put it here. Uh, This is Arthur Walter Jr. uh, telling us, Walters, excuse me, Jr., how he can um, help you live to be 104. People always say, well, what do you attribute to? And I always say, well, I have two good friends. Oh, Jim Beam and Jack Daniels. <laughs> yeah, those are my two good friends. The best friends. They helped me along. I got to be honest. My favorite part of this audio is not that he said something that a lot of older people, like 100 plus people say uh, when they're interviewed. They're, this joke has been made many times, and I'm sure it's not actually the key. Uh, to long life. Uh, I don't think having best friends, Jim Beam and Jack Daniels, actually help you out in the world of your health. Um, But it's just the joy you can hear in the guy's voice as he makes the joke. He's the happiest about it. And that makes me very happy to hear. Uh, Hold on. Hold on. Let me actually make sure that this audio plays one more time. Let's do it again. Well, I have two good friends. Oh, Jim Beam and Jack Daniels. Yeah, those are my two good friends. Yes, they are. They helped me a lot. They helped me a lot. I love how much his voice goes up the first time he says, Jim Beam and Jack Daniels. Uh, big fan of them. Uh, other stuff out there that's sillier before we get to a more serious stuff after the news. Uh, Japan Airlines has come up with a unique thing that I think a lot of guys are likely to say yes to, and a lot of women are unlikely to say yes to. Uh, what they said is, hey, uh, you travel, maybe you're uh, taking a you know long vacation to Japan from the United States or wherever it is you're coming from. You don't want to bring a lot of luggage. That's, that's tricky. You got to pack things. It's very difficult. How about instead of that, you pay us $28 and you get two weeks worth of clothing that you rent from us and return to the airport when you're done wearing them so they can go back into, I assume, at least the washing machine and dryer and then be rented out to the next person. They're renting a line of clothing. And as I said, I not only have a couple uh, buddies of mine I talked to about this story when I saw it, uh, but also just people in social media reacting and saying that, yeah, no, this sounds pretty good. Almost everyone that's in the good category is a dude. Uh, Because I I would love this. A part of me would be like, yeah, make it simpler. 
Um, although I also thought about how Betty would react if I wasn't packing any luggage at all for a trip we were about to take. And she's like, why, why isn't this happening? And she usually helps pack my stuff for me. That makes me sound like a child, but it's true. She usually just does it because she wants it done sooner than I'd get it done. And if I had got to look at her and be like, oh, I'm just renting my clothes from the airport. I'm just picking them up after we land. She would look at me, not with like anger, Betty wouldn't get mad. It would be a disappointment. There would be a, a soul crushing moment for her where she would understand the simplicity of $28 for two weeks of rented clothing was so attractive to me that uh, packing my own luggage became something I definitely didn't want to do. But I, there's a lot of people out there who might like, and I actually just got a text from Susan, a listener to the show, that says she'd also love to rent her clothes at the airport on uh, the Japan airline. So I guess I'm wrong. Maybe a lot more ladies. Uh, 309-340-4464. Feels weird to say it this way. Uh, but 309-340-4464. Text the show, uh, especially uh, women who'd like to rent their clothes from an airline and not pack them themselves. I would be surprised if a lot of people would say, I thought it would be a guy thing because we wouldn't really be worried about the the clothes being, you know, all that great. 28 bucks for two weeks. I can't imagine it's a lot of top shelf uh, versions of attire. Uh, but again, uh, this is something that maybe is way more popular and maybe a lot more people will do it. Because you could literally just board the plane with nothing. I don't know if you get the toiletries at the uh, the hotel or something, but you could conceivably, if they're going to give you all your clothes, uh, just show up with nothing. And the the freedom of that would be – I've never flown on a on a plane with zero things. And the idea that I could – well, I would have my phone, I guess, and a charger or something. But almost zero things would be a highlight, I think, for so many um, that, yes, it would be very tempting, and I would absolutely do it. And 28 bucks. For two weeks, seems very affordable. Uh, one last thing. I thought this was kind of funny and interesting. DoorDash flagged a random home, at, I think this is Washington State, as being a Popeye's restaurant. So people started showing up at somebody's house and actually going all the way to ring the doorbell and be like, hey, is this a Popeye's? I saw on DoorDash that this was a Popeye's. And uh, no, it's not. This is just a home, and please go away. We don't have any chicken sandwiches for you. But I love that there are people that would look on an app even a DoorDash, get all the way to a house in a neighborhood and be like, this can't be a Popeye's, and then walk up to it and be like, we're, we're just making sure. I'm just double-checking that this is not, in fact, a Popeye's uh, before eventually accepting, all right, uh, there's a glitch going on with an app. All right, we've got to take a break. Uh, a lot more coming up in a bit. Uh, but the best way to check us out is on our, our app or the stream. Uh, you can even get your smart speaker to play a WMBD radio by just saying, play WMBD radio. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Before the break, I was talking about Japan Airlines and how they were letting people rent clothing for two weeks at a time for 28 bucks. And I said I thought it was a dude thing. I thought that uh, less women would want to do it. And then I threw up my text line, uh, 309-340-4464 is the number to text the show. 309-340-4464. I was wrong. Uh, several people are texting the show saying I am um, a woman and I would absolutely rent these clothing from the airline or rent them other. Mostly people saying they'd rent clothes a different way with a different system. Uh, but a couple people saying that, yes, they would rent their clothes even on the on the uh, airline. I think that's the, the catch for my wife. I think that she wouldn't really love the idea that the plane we were flying on was also going to give me two weeks of wardrobe. But I'll ask her. She'll be on the show in a little bit. Maybe I'm wrong about that, too. Uh, some other stuff out there. I want to play some Trump audio. Uh, Trump sat down with Sean Hannity. And it's it's funny. This is what's very, very funny to me, at least, 
is this first piece of audio I'm going to play. If you hate the former president, if you um, have what people call Trump derangement syndrome, which doesn't mean, by the way, that the opposite of that is you love Trump and everything he does is amazing. Uh, there's a lot of people who don't have Trump derangement syndrome who also don't love everything and anything that Donald Trump has ever done. Those people exist. Uh, they're alive. They're walking around. Uh, they feel uh, certain ways about certain things, uh, but don't need to tear down everything the man ever says. Uh, the reason I say all that is because what I'm about to play feels as though it's an everyman reaction to a story that was in the news. A lot of people should agree with the former president on this. But again, I'm sure if you hate the guy, you, you can't. There's no possible way to agree with anything he says ever. But here we go. But co cocaine's pretty bad if somebody's taking cocaine and making decisions. <laughs> yes. What if there was fentanyl in it? What if it was anthrax? Well, it could have been a lot of God things. forbid. It could have been a lot of things. And they have cameras. And I would imagine it doesn't stop here. But Secret Service is so incredible. They don't get enough, enough credit. They deserve it. And they're under the orders of other people. But... I think Secret Service would be able to tell you the real answer. I would think they would, too. And I just love the beginning of this audio. And it's maybe audio I should save and play more. But co cocaine's pretty bad if somebody's <laughs> taking cocaine and making decisions. Cocaine, cocaine's bad. It's not, it's not good. It doesn't make you a better decision maker in a lot of ways. It makes uh, your decisions worse. I feel like that's, again, a Mr. Obvious uh, take. And it just so happens to be the former president saying it. So I'm sure a lot of people are now absolutely okay with cocaine uh, in the workplace. It's fine. Now, what's that guy taking cocaine? Oh, no, that's cleared. It's White House cleared. It's cleared. It's got to be okay here for us, too. Uh, let's play this. Uh, this is a little bit of razzing of CNN uh, that happened between Sean Hannity and former President Trump. Uh, the biggest thing about it is something I do also find wildly accurate in the world of most actual news television, uh, but did happen to go the other way for the former head of CNN. Here we go. Now, fake news, CNN. Um, I watched that, too. Well, that was a good one. That oh. was a good one. They had a town hall. That was a Trump They class. ended up firing the head of CNN. Because, yeah. And they got the highest ratings in 11 years, and they fired. <laughs> it's supposed to be the app. By the way, you might want to start a show, and at the end of every show, say to somebody, you're fired. Yeah, 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 he did that. Uh, we get the Joe Kennedy. But I do love the thing in the middle uh, where uh, Trump says he got the highest ratings in 11 years, and then they fired him immediately after that. It, it is a weird and broken and just strange world uh, that we live in right now for that to also very, very much be true, uh, that that guy lost his job because his mission statement was to not make CNN a conservative media outlet. If you paid attention to it, well, uh, the guy that got fired was in charge. You wouldn't have mistaken it for Fox News or any other um, um, sort of organization that leans right. But it certainly no longer felt like the CNN that it's back to being now. And that apparently was bad. That apparently was terrible for morale, for people, uh, for so many things. I want to play one more in the world of Trump and then we'll move on. And again, I know people hate this guy. And then people love this guy. So I guess playing this audio will give you some sort of reaction, most likely. It also makes it very, very hard for him to be fairly tried in any courtroom anywhere in our country because there's not a lot of people who'd walk in and be like, I'm, I'm indifferent. I could go either way. Now, I feel like I could be on the panel uh, to judge the former president, to hear all the facts and decide whether he's guilty of stuff. I, I feel like I could actually wield that power uh, when the time came. You might disagree with me, but I think I could do it right. I don't think there are a lot of people in that world. But let's play this. I'm not trying to say I'm better than anybody else. I'm just willing to, to hear bad things and also good things. Because I do think this is a bad thing uh, that Trump said, or at least a part of it I disagree with. And the way in which he sort of 
jokes about um, how other people don't like the way he says something, I think it's not so good. <laughs> Let me be real uh, strong in my take. I think it's I think it's pretty bad. And I'll tell you why. But here first, let's play this. I will tell you that. But think of President Xi, central casting, brilliant guy. You know, when I say he's brilliant, everyone says, oh, that's terrible. Call him. Well, he runs 1.4 billion people with an iron fist. Smart, brilliant, everything perfect. There's nobody in Hollywood like this. Yeah, here's the problem with that uh, form of praise. And he went on very much to criticize uh, China, to criticize Russia, to say a lot of the things you'd want uh, a leader to say and say that he's hard on on people, on leaders. But that whole uh, praising thing right at the beginning, it, it feels, one, similar to the kinds of things you hear from the current president, from Biden, uh, that people criticize. And two, I don't think you would want to run our country the way that China runs theirs. So when you say he runs 1.4 billion people with an iron fist and he looks like he came out of central casting, even if Trump is going to go on to have a more nuanced take, uh, that's a part of the message that should be missed or should be disliked by anyone who's been criticizing the current president for the things he says about China and about their leader, because we don't want to emulate. Fauci was doing that. There was a while where a bunch of Fauci audio was being played in a lot of conservative places, and Fauci was praising China for their ability to control people during COVID because a whole lot of people weren't allowed. All the people weren't allowed to do anything. We don't want that here. We don't want people uh, like uh, Xi Jinping to be in charge of our country because of how they would run it, uh, demonstrated by how they run the country they're in charge of now. And so I don't like uh, that praise and the way it's articulated. Uh, but but uh, former President Trump did go on to say several things about uh, pushing back against Putin and Russia and, and pushing these other, um, you know, friends of his or, or people he has good relationships with, because in the world of what he does as the president, it matters. It matters to be capable of sitting down in a room with someone, negotiate with them, uh, but then also, you know, get what you want at the end of it. And he actually bragged about getting a lot of money from China for farmers, uh, which is all audio I can play a little bit later. I'm going to take a break. And we're going to get to more in a bit. Um, but I, I will. I'll play that audio, uh, I promise, at some point in the show. I'm not trying to censor it. I'm just trying to move on to other things. Uh, but at the same time, I, I'm just not comfortable uh, with the heaping of praise, even if there's an objective behind it, because it, it sounds, again, like the stuff I'm criticizing. And if I criticize it when somebody on the left does it, I'm going to criticize it when somebody on the right does it. Uh, let's play this, and then I'll take a break. This is Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, he is someone who's gained at least some level of national um, attention. He is running for the Republican side of the aisle. Uh, he says things that I think even people that would describe themselves as left-leaning uh, don't completely hate. Um, some of the things he says, I think people that would describe themselves as left-leaning very much hate. So it's it's all over the place in how you feel about this individual. But he's young, he's smart, um, he's uh, not someone who comes from a career in politics, and he has a specific belief in the world of the latest potential charges against the former president in the January 6th investigation, uh, all the other charges. It's actually a take very similar to mine. Not trying to pat myself on the back here, but he's he's eloquent, so let's let him deliver it, uh, what he thinks is the problem in the world of all these legal challenges, legal uh, issues, uh, coming after the guy that's the leading candidate on the Republican side of the aisle to be someone who's uh, eventually in a running against our current president uh, for the most important political job uh, we have in this country. But here we go. On the facts as we have them, I don't think he should bear criminal responsibility. And I think that that would be a disastrous precedent in this country. I think what really fueled January 6th, Neil, was 
a year of censorship, systematic censorship, telling people they couldn't talk about COVID lockdowns, telling people they couldn't talk about the Hunter Biden laptop story on the eve of a presidential election. I think that's a big part of the pent up frustration that showed up on January 6th. Do you and really as somebody believe who is running to many lead, Americans who Neil, were troubled by that? But do you sir. really believe people who are troubled by that? And you're quite right. Many, many were. But they yep. didn't storm the United States Capitol. Yeah, no, a whole lot of us did not do that. Neil, I think that what happens in our country is that if you tell people they cannot speak, that is when they scream. If you tell people they That's cannot totally true. scream, that is when they tear things down. That is also and true. And somebody who wants to lead this country forward, and that is why I'm in this race, I think it's important that we confront that reality, acknowledge the systematic suppression of information and people's voices that led to the frustration that boiled over on January 6th, if we are to actually move forward as one nation. So what he's saying there, and I have not had this as a, a part of my take, um, but what he's saying there is because of the amount of anger that existed within the individuals who wound up all over the news and television uh, for what happened on January 6th, uh, because of that, and not because of anything that Trump said or Trump did, uh, they wound up being a regrettable um, a insurrection, as some call it, uh, but certainly some bad things. Tucker Carlson even says bad things happened, uh, but also a lot of things happened that we probably weren't told uh, exactly the way in which they occurred, much more peaceful things, uh, even though it's, it's not a good look to be walked around the Capitol buildings you shouldn't be in, even if you're being peaceful about it. But I digress. As all of that's going on, he's saying that's the big reason that these charges shouldn't actually wind up holding Trump accountable for anything. And it's just the latest of a line of of mentioning how no matter how guilty you think Trump is, uh, no matter how innocent you think the former president is, there have been times, I hate to be a broken record on this, uh, in our country where political leaders – presidents and whatnot have been caught doing things that are definitely illegal and wound up not being charged the same way as everybody else for it because it is a dangerous precedent to set and a bad look for our country to be locking up our former presidents. That's a bad look. Does that mean you, you can get away with anything? No, it does not. Uh, but we've had presidents get away or former presidents get away with a lot, including Democrats. And for some reason, uh, some reason that people will certainly tell you uh, their own opinions on, uh, Trump is the opposite of that stuff, and they're all hitting now at a time when it would be most relevant to him trying to run a political campaign instead of – and this is what I, I, I will stand by this probably forever. I don't think I could be convinced to move from this position. Um, he could have still been charged after the election was over or after he was no longer a candidate to be our president for all of this stuff. None of this stuff um, was incapable of waiting Till after the first few days of January in 2025. So I don't know why it's happening now um, outside of saying that I understand anyone who accuses there of being a political reason for what's going on to occur. And that's not even saying he's innocent or guilty. I want the nuance of what I'm saying to be uh, apparent to anyone listening. It's just saying, why do it now? Quick break, a lot more. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3, WMBD, it's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, Cheryl Crow is very upset at Jason Aldean. Uh, this is real. Uh, Cheryl Crow said that it's very lame, uh, that song that Jason Aldean has out that now I think uh, CMT and other places are refusing to play the music video of. It's called Try That in a Small Town. Uh, people are saying that the song is is bad because some of the lyrics in the song 
uh, are threatening or uh, something. I'm not sure exactly what they are. I, I have to be honest, and I could play parts of the song. I, I don't. I'm not scared to do that. Uh, but I I think that the overall sentiment, the idea uh, within this music, is that what happens in a big city is different than what happens in smaller communities because everybody knows each other. I, I don't think it's necessarily that small communities are are you know this or that or there's somehow an ist or 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 anything. I think the reason that the small town community is unlikely to see the types of uh, violence against police, which is referenced in here, or uh, an old lady that gets uh, taken, uh, that gets her car jacked at a red light or something like that. And we're talking about like truly small towns is that you know everyone. Is that you're like, oh, that's uh, this person's sister or brother or this, this person's cousin. If they did something like that, they would be in a lot of trouble because the rest of the community would care. They would react to it. They would pay attention to it, and they'd know where to find the person responsible whatever the thing is that they did, I believe that's the intention of the song. And so I think that it's far less offensive uh, than those do who are very upset about it. Uh, but that's because I think you're listening with the intent to hear something, uh, more so than listening with the ability to analyze it multiple ways at the very least. All right? That's one thing out there. I think this is interesting. Uh, this is not a, an uplifting topic for sure, uh, but I want to discuss it because I know people uh, who work in this profession. And actually, I even had a job where I would wind up being a, a sales professional uh, that sold software um, stuff and other um, technology uh, to people that worked in construction. But construction workers have one of the highest suicide rates compared to all professions. Uh, a new international invite hopes to combat the crisis, devastating the segment of the blue-collar population. Uh, that's how it's described in the New York Post. Uh, but male construction workers are about four times more likely than the general population to end their own lives. That accounts for 20% of suicides by occupation in the United Kingdom and in the United States, the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, uh, one of the places reporting on this. It's the second highest rate of all industries at 45 uh, suicides per 100,000 workers, second only to mining and oil gas extraction uh, industries as far as professions go. Uh, I'm sure that it would bear mentioning that uh, military uh, also take their lives in, in scary numbers. Um, and we've talked to uh, 22 VA. Uh, the 22 comes from the amount of um, our veterans who, who um, you know, commit suicide too. So I, I think that's a important number to make sure to also mention and discuss as that happens every single day. Um, but this is a uniquely bad situation and there's not a whole lot of valuable solves here other than saying that mental health is important. And I do have to be honest, I'll, I'll say this a different way. Um, when you're talking in, in circles where politics matter, and almost all circles now, it seems that politics have to matter, and you say something like mental health is important, uh, it feels as though that's something that should be accepted on both sides uh, in all cases, in all scenarios. Uh, we need to do what we can to treat it. We need to do what we can to combat it. Uh, but then when you land on specific topics, say things like um, horrible acts of, of, of violence or or mass murder uh, that occurs in our society, and you're like, well, mental health obviously needs to be fixed here. Uh, somehow that's much more um, uh, controversial, and somehow it's much more uh, inappropriate, uh, according to some. So it's it's interesting to tie those lines together in a way where I could say this about construction workers and about the, the um, sadly high rate of suicide, and I'm sure no one will get politically upset with me. But if I say it in another scenario, well, there's a whole lot of people that would accuse me being a terrible, terrible person. Uh, moving on, I think this is interesting, and this is uh, certainly less difficult of a topic to talk about than the last one. 
A chat GPT apparently has an evil twin. Uh, it didn't take long for us to get an evil twin in the world of the artificial intelligence that answers questions from humans. But it's not the kind of evil twin you think. It's not like a mean or terrible AI that you ask it questions and it gives really inappropriate answers. Uh, that might amuse more people. It's Worm GPT is what it's called. And it's a hacker software that's designed to allow some sort of uh, digital bug to change itself, however necessary, to make itself more sophisticated over time, to take stuff, to break in uh, to anything and everything that it would be going after. A worm GPT, where the computer reprograms itself as necessary to eventually have uh, problems. I do think that's pretty interesting, and I do think that's pretty significant because, well, um, we're screwed. <laughs> I don't know a better way to say that. Uh, it feels like the, the best way to say it. I don't know how you compete against artificial intelligence in that space uh, if it gets savvier and savvier because we're never going to be able to react at the speed of artificial intelligence. And stuff's already getting hacked at an alarming rate in, in bad situations. And so making it any worse is, well, also really scary to me. All right. I wanted to touch on one other thing. Then we'll take a break. We'll get back to some of the news of the day. In a little bit, uh, Gen Z has a disturbing new girl dinner trend uh, that's out there. It's not a 90s thing. Uh, it's a 2023 thing. It's where you consume very, very little. Uh, you have like a can of corn, a small can of corn, uh, or a, a Diet Coke as the only thing that you consume. Or in one photo, it's like a tiny piece of uh, a cheesecake muffin and then just a pickle. And so this is a amusing trend, I guess, for young people on social media that they're calling girl dinner. Even some people that are just drinking ice in a glass without even water in it and saying, look at me having a wonderful girl dinner. Um, I've talked about, and this, this dovetails back into the mental health thing that I was discussing a second ago, uh, some data that says that, that young women are uniquely struggling in the world of mental health, more so than any other group. Uh, women say, or kids uh, teenagers to 20-somethings are are saying more and more than ever in our society and ever um, of any one specific uh, group that any one specific demographic uh, that they are likely to contemplate suicide. And I think it's probably stuff like this where you're making fun of the idea uh, that in order to be a successful uh, young person or a young girl, uh, you have to starve yourself. And so that's what the, the sentiment is. That's what the joke's about. And apparently people are liking it and reacting to it and uh, making more and more of these social media posts. And I, I don't have any kids, but I wonder if I had like a, a young uh, daughter, how they would react to seeing that and think to themselves, man, I need to have a girl dinner, uh, which is nothing, which is eating almost nothing and then going to bed. And that is not a smart move. That is not a healthy move. That is not something you should be doing. All right, we're going to take a break. And we're going to get back into some of the news of the day, the politics of the day. I have way more audio to play in the world of the second whistleblower uh, that has come forward, not just named Agent X anymore, and said that the IRS did not follow protocols it should have in the Hunter Biden investigation. Uh, that coming up in a bit, Will's got you covered. AM, it's 1470. FM, it's 100.3. All over the Internet. 1470. 100.3. WMBD. Craig Collins Show. Um, there's a new whistleblower. We have a name. We have a face. We have a lot of information uh, about the new whistleblower. Uh, and also CBS News continues to have conversations that some of the other news organizations out there uh, in legacy media or whatever you want to call uh, that form of media 
are refusing to have. Uh, so this is the latest in part of a sit-down uh, where the new whistleblower uh, used to be known as Agent X, now known as uh, Joseph Ziegler, uh, talks about what the problem was with the investigation in the first place. Uh, there's a little bit of it. I think there's a whole interview that's actually coming up uh, tonight uh, with Joseph because he appeared for the first time uh, in front of uh, politicians today. Uh, hold on. Let me actually hit the right button here so we actually get this to play. And go ahead. Why did you want to interview Hunter Biden's adult children? So a lot of the um, business deductions expenses related to the adult children. Did you get the approvals? So we never received the approvals to, to talk to, to, to those people. What did the assistant U.S. attorney tell you? That that's going to get us into hot water. Is that in the IRS handbook, avoiding hot water? No, but <laughs> I mean, I was asking to do these certain things. I love that. And I, I love that. I love that. Is that in the, uh, the handbook? You got to avoid hot water. Is that is that something you guys got to oh. do? Oh, hold on. Actually, I just lost the audio. We'll get it back in a second. Uh, but he goes on to say that, no, uh, it's not in the handbook. I should be allowed to do stuff and we weren't allowed to do stuff. And that matters. That's important, even if you don't care. Uh, let's play a little bit more of the actual testimony itself going on uh, today uh, from this individual. Uh, a couple quick things. And again, I don't actually care about this stuff. It shouldn't matter. Uh, a whistleblower who comes forward that has a long career in the IRS or anywhere else uh, that says that I'm blowing the whistle on something and you can trust me because my career is what it is. Uh, that should be enough for us to say, all right, there at least should be a willingness for us to pay attention as a society. But there hasn't been. There's been a lot of people, uh, a lot of politicians, of course, that have absolutely no interest in paying attention to this story. And even a lot of them today uh, during this testimony uh, saying pretty ridiculous stuff. I, I might play some of that a little bit later. Uh, but this individual for the identity politics people uh, is a gay man who's a Democrat. Uh, so he said for some reason it's making people trust him more, and he doesn't like it. He doesn't agree with it. He doesn't think it's a, a way that people should be behaving. But I thought it was pretty powerful that he said it in the first place. Uh, he also talked about some of his biggest problems with how the Hunter Biden investigation with the IRS and the – the lack of felony charges, et cetera, was all handled. Here we go. Thus, as I read the pub public documents as the Department of Justice action against Hunter Biden, there is nothing that indicates Hunter Biden will be required to amend his false tax return for 2018. A false tax return that includes proper deductions, improper deductions for prostitutes, sex clubs, and his, and his adult children's tuition. Yeah, and his adult children's tuition. That's one of the other things on there at the end that you might miss uh, with the more salacious things uh, being mentioned first. Uh, he's not even going to have to amend those returns, meaning you paid penalties. You don't have to pay more money. You don't have to get in any more trouble. It's, it's weird. Here's a little bit more from him. I will also note that while the impression has been conveyed by the U.S. attorney in Delaware that he has similar powers to that of a special counsel in this case, free reign to do as needed, that was not the case. Uh -oh. It appeared to me, based on what I experienced, that the U.S. attorney in Delaware in our investigation was constantly hamstrung, limited, and marginalized by DOJ officials as well as other U.S. attorneys. I still think that a special counsel is necessary for this investigation. I like how slow he went at the end there. He goes, I still think a special counsel is necessary. We should still do that. We don't know why we haven't done that. We're all very confused. Uh, let's do something else. Uh, let's see how a Democrat uh, handles some of this pushback, some of the uh, trying out the ridiculousness here and all the, the crazy things that are being said. Uh, the misunderstanding, I think, is how uh, Raskin actually described it and see how the eventual whistleblower, both of them, 
um, uh, respond to and then eventually, I think, uh, win the conversation. I know there's not supposed to be winners and losers in this stuff, but uh, there's winners and losers. Here we go. It seems to me this October 7th, 2022 meeting, which you've described as a red line, is just a misunderstanding. Just that after confused. the U.S. attorney in D.C. declined to partner on the 14 and 15 charges, Mr. Weiss took a good hard look at those charges himself <laughs> and ultimately decided not no, to charge okay. them and therefore mm-hmm. not to seek the special attorney statement. Yeah, no, the actual statement is that he couldn't. It okay. is. He may have been right about that. He may have been wrong, as you guys make your case for, but it was his decision. Isn't that right, Mr. Shapley? No, that, that's not supported by the facts. <laughs> really? Well, which facts is it not supported by? Uh, his own admissions in the October 7th, 2022 <laughs> meeting that I documented. Cons- that's not supported by the facts. Which facts, sir? What are you going to make up for me now? How dare you try to say that my facts aren't actual facts? Uh, the thing he said, the, the guy that you're quoting, uh, said something different, and that's why we're here blowing a whistle in the first place, because some of the story you've been told publicly is a lie. At least that's the accusation of the whistleblowers. I love the way they're trying to defeat the logic. At least the Democrats on this committee are trying to defeat the logic by saying that what's public must be true because you're essentially telling whistleblowers that they have no reason to exist. If we always believe the public narrative, and I'm not saying I actually know who's telling the truth. I'm not trying to go that far. Uh, But if we always believe the public narrative and if you can defeat a whistleblower by saying the thing they're saying publicly is different than this stuff, man, uh, then why would whistleblowers ever need to exist in any situation? Contemporaneously, and if the only piece of But he contradicts what you're saying. Do you agree that? He doesn't agree with what you're saying he about that not, meeting. Not. Now, I wasn't at that. <laughs> he doesn't agree with what you're saying. He thinks what you're saying is a lie, and you need to make sure to mention that too. And they go back and forth on that because, yes, the person publicly who's saying something that two whistleblowers are saying is not true uh, would need to be um, uh, outed uh, by people that work for him only if what he's saying publicly is if he was saying the, the thing that they're saying, then they wouldn't exist. I, that's, I guess, the easiest way to say it. Uh, one other quick thing. I do want to play a little bit of this uh, audio, too, and then we'll move on to other stuff today because, uh, surprisingly, there is, in fact, other stuff today. Uh, but I, I thought that um, many of the things said when our former president popped up on Hannity for his town hall uh, were interesting. Uh, this was probably one of the more significant ones, talking about his good relationships with Vladimir, uh, Vladimir Zelensky of Ukraine and with Vladimir Putin of, of Russia, um, so much so as saying that Zelensky praised him and he's willing to praise Zelensky. Uh, this is a different version of a conversation on the conservative side of the aisle and the Republican side of the aisle than you might hear some other places. Uh, Trump is, is praising uh, the person, the president in charge of Ukraine, uh, while saying that there's limitations to how support would go if he wound up in office again, and then uh, things he would say to Putin, uh, even though he considers him someone that he had a quote-unquote good relationship with. Here we go. I know Zelensky very well because he was very honorable with the fake phone call, impeachment hoax number one. They said I made a phone call to him, and I was very threatening. I wasn't at all. I was actually very nice. I was congratulating him on a victory. But when they asked him, they said, did you, were you threatened? He didn't even know what they were talking about. He was very honorable. He could have done grandstand. He said, yeah, I felt threatened. I felt threatened. He didn't do that. And as you know, I get along very well with Putin. I would tell Putin, got to settle. I would tell Zelensky, you got to settle. I would tell one, you're going to load up with money. I'd tell the other, you're not going to get any money. I would get a settlement in 24 hours. Now, it should have never happened. You have thousands, hundreds of thousands of dead 
people right now. Hundreds of thousands. You have cities that are obliterated. I don't know if you've ever seen the cities after they finish with the rockets. You have cities with no buildings standing. It looks like just a demolition zone. He's talking about the damage done to Ukraine, uh, something that, again, if you're uh, hearing part of that narrative, not just from uh, Trump, but from other people on the conservative side of the aisle, the quick accusation made that we're not necessarily handling things correctly in writing blank checks to Ukraine and not having an expectation of what the end of the conflict looks like, it means you're pro-Russia. It means that you're okay with uh, certain things happening and you're almost trying to help uh, Putin in some way. Uh, Describing the devastation and the the harm done uh, to innocent people, to lives lost because of this conflict, I think is pretty far uh, from saying that, you know, Putin's uh, doing right stuff and uh, Zelensky and Ukraine are doing bad stuff, and uh, that's why we need to do something different than what we've done so far. It's just interesting to hear, again, from someone, and that's part of the reason I'm choosing to play the audio. I'm not trying to be a, a super Trump guy on the show today for any of the one, anyone that wants to accuse me of being that. Uh, but he says things that a lot of people who hate him don't hear because they're not played a lot of places. And I think some of those things would uh, surprise uh, people who, well, Hate him again. A quick break, a lot more. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, I got a text message from a listener saying, hey, Craig, in the first hour of the show, you said you were going to play more of the Trump audio from when he praised uh, President Xi Jinping. I want to hear more of that audio. And I definitely had planned on playing it a little later on in the show. But darn it, you text and I deliver. It's sort of, I guess, a, a version of, uh, name that song or something. Uh, you pick the the stuff that we're going to play. I, I've never worked in music radio, so I'm doing this terribly. But you name you name the hits, and we're going to play the hits for you. Uh, this is the uh, longer version of that conversation uh, where Trump goes on to brag about his um, ability to get money from China and get money that he provided to farmers. And actually, he went on later on. It's not in this clip that's available, but later on to say uh, that he's someone who will be uniquely supported by farmers. And I think he's right about that because of something he's done. Uh, but he starts this off by saying positive things about the leader of China. And it's it's odd in the position it's it's taken because it seems reminiscent to me of some of the things that Biden also says that praise uh, China and praise the leader there. Um, and if you're going to criticize one guy for doing it, you got to criticize both uh, for doing it, uh, even if Trump goes another direction as he's talking about this. I love you, too. I will tell you that. But think of President Xi, central casting, brilliant guy. You know, when I say he's brilliant, everyone says, oh, that's terrible. We call him. Well, he runs 1.4 billion people with an iron fist. Smart, brilliant, everything perfect. There's nobody in Hollywood like this guy. I got them to pay us $28 billion because they screwed our farmers for years. And I had the Secretary of Agriculture come up and I said, give me a number. They said, it's $28 billion. Comes back a week later, it's $28 billion. I said, that's a lot. I said, well, we're going to take it from China. I got $28 billion for the farmers. Who got a check? Did everybody get a check? (laughs) I do enjoy that part, too. It's like, who got a check? Anybody in the room that got a check? Uh, But it doesn't change my opinion. And certainly it's a valuable position for him to take in how he can benefit farmers anyway in which he did it. And he did it beyond uh, the way he's talking about there. Uh, in other ways. And as I said, I think that farmers are a group of people that would uniquely want to support 
uh, the former president compared to the current president. If you're just looking at the ways in which uh, one president propped up an industry and another one did not, uh, not that uh, Biden specifically attacked it like oil and gas or anything like that. Uh, but as I, as I say all that, I still don't, again, feel uh, that the right tact with the uh, president in China uh, with anyone there is to say as many things as are said about brilliant, about ruling with an iron fist, about 1.4 billion people uh, following orders, because we'd never want to be that. And I know Trump wouldn't run the United States that way, uh, even if people would accuse him of wanting that. Uh, that's not the way any president could run the United States. We, we don't work like that. Uh, but even beyond uh, the simple messaging there, too, if I'm upset that Janet Yellen uh, goes over to China and is bowing and behaving a certain way, subservient to people, uh, then I'm not happy to hear the unique form of praise, even if it might have a, a benefit uh, to someone actually in the role of President Biden or Trump in saying certain things to get certain negotiations to happen, uh, negotiations that are not happening in the world of the guy in office right now. Uh, but I, I'll play it if you need it uh, played there. I'll play it there because someone just shot that text in. Uh, but I'll play it again later today because uh, part of that was going to go in my top five at five in about 50, 40 minutes, 40 minutes, something like that. Uh, Kim Kardashian has more money, apparently. Uh, she has a, a clothing line. A shapewear brand is what they're calling it. She raked in $270 million in the most recent round of funding uh, for that company because the valuation of her Skims business was $4 billion. Um, I'm not someone that heaps a lot of praise on a Kim Kardashian or on the Kardashians or pays much attention to the Kardashians, uh, but they are uniquely good at whatever version of of business dealings they're making to keep making a crap ton of money. And I saw that story and I figured, you know what? Fine. I'll go ahead and, and give credit where credit is due. Uh, they seem to be really great at however it is. They all build those businesses that uh, do very, very well. And Skims is uh, just one of them. Uh, they have others. And I am impressed. Uh, no matter how it, it happened, it's, it's happening. Uh, moving on, this I thought was interesting. Um, a fan jumped up on stage during a Brian Adams concert. A lot of uh, singers are complaining that the people that are showing up and paying a lot of money at their concerts are doing all kinds of stuff. Some are throwing things. Uh, you had, I think, Miranda Lambert the other day yelling at people for taking selfies in the front row, uh, which I probably will play some View audio. Whoopi Goldberg walked off the set of The View uh, when some of the people on the panel thought that that was wrong of the singer to tell people who paid a lot of money for tickets to a concert that they shouldn't be taking selfies and should be listening to the music. It's a weird version of of elitist that that if I paid that much money and I'm in the front row and I want to fire off some selfies, I'm not hurting anybody. I, I'm going to do it. And I think it's fine to do it, even if uh, you probably should also pay attention to the concert because that's more important uh, than the photos. It's It's your right to do whatever you want. If you want to watch LeBron James break the all-time NBA scoring record and most people are holding their phones in front of their faces and taping it and not actually just watching it, there's that one guy virally who was watching it. That's fine. Live your life. You paid the ticket. It'll be great. Uh, but this guy went a different road at the Brian Adams concert. He jumped on stage. He took the microphone. He sang some of the lines uh, to Summer of 69. And then my favorite part, you can't really hear the crowd as much as I wish you could in the audio. They cheered hard when the dude gets dragged, uh, gets tackled and dragged off uh, the the uh, stage uh, by security. Boom! 
my favorite part is when they sang the summer of 69 after the fan guy is saying stuff and getting dive tackled. <laughs> and they are, they are happy when he gets tackled and then he's off the stage and not doing that anymore. Uh, that's a unique move. Uh, that's not the throwing stuff at you move. That's not the taking the selfies in the stands move. That's the I really want to perform and I want my shot. And it's not that good of a shot. He didn't take a great shot, uh, but he took one, you know, and he can't uh, shoot or shoot, I think, is something they say in the world of dating. They say if you want to hit on somebody or flirt with somebody or, or tell somebody you like them, I don't know what the right terminology is in today's world, that you, you got to uh, take a chance. You got to put yourself out there. Uh, that's the version of saying that I just put out uh, when shoot or shoot. And that guy, he took his he took his chance. And he, as I said, again, missed. And I don't think things are going to work out so well uh, for him uh, moving forward. All right, quick break. We're going to do some news. Will Stevenson's got you covered there. Uh, after the news, I will dive into some things that are not uh, whistleblowers and not the former president because there is, in fact, other news out there in the world to be discussed, including whether or not Harry and Meghan are breaking up. No, I'm kidding. Well, it is out there, but I'm not going to talk about that beyond this. Uh, but Will's got you covered. AM, it's 1470. FM, it's 100.3. But the best way to listen, uh, our smart speaker, you just tell it, play me some WMBD radio or something to that effect. Play WMBD radio. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. Yes, I laugh a lot on my show. Yes, I know. I understand. But my wife in studio with me, uh, Betty, hi. Hi, Craig. You were going, oh, oh, because you <laughs> sat down and then all of a sudden the music started playing. Yeah. And we have to be on the radio now. Yeah. Uh, how are you? Good. Uh, I was uh, having my snack from yes, you this were. afternoon. Yes. You brought in some smart popcorn. Yeah. Because it's only got 70 calories? Yes. Okay. You like the that? Thing. I, I like the white cheddar popcorn, yeah. Gotcha. I like the Reese's peanut butter cup uh, thing, the um, muffin or the cupcake. That's the cupcake. In, yeah, that's yes. not healthy. No. The least healthy <laughs> item in there. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this real quick. I teased it uh, before the news, and I didn't actually intend to talk about it, uh, but you made me watch all these documentaries, so you might care more. Uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. There's a rumor they might be getting a divorce. They might be on the, on the outs. Uh, do you care about that story at all? I hear, but uh, I hear about that news, but I don't think that uh, is. I mean, you don't believe it. Well, fake news. Well, fake news, and uh, <laughs> there are. Every, I mean, all the media, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the magazines and like uh, all the red yes. alert news. They, they always stuff. talk about them all the mm-hmm. time, constantly. So who knows? Who what knows is if it's true? true. But yeah. you, you did say it wouldn't totally shock you. Yeah, yeah, okay. I say that because uh, I don't know. I think they move uh, super fast to their relationship, mm-hmm. and they have kids super fast. They made babies. They have, yes, I say they make babies. Yes, they make yes. babies, and now and, uh, they've had a lot of stress, uh, yes, and yes. maybe they want to be done. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Also, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it doesn't matter how. Uh, I mean, if uh, the Prince Harry is. Uh, like a prince or like all that uh, protocol that they mm-hmm. have. But family, at, at the end of the day, family is family. And I yeah. think at the end of the day, he's going to miss his family sooner well, than that later. I would think that if he wound up giving up his princedom or whatever you call it, he's not an active royal, and then he winds up in a divorce situation with the Meghan Markle, he would not feel so great about that. There would be a day or two where he'd be thinking to himself, man, should I have given up all the royal things, yeah. the royal money, I th- uh, all of that. But the thing is, like, I feel like he probably misses just like the behind the scenes like uh, relation with his family sure. you know like Talking hanging out with his hang- brother yeah. or his his dad I mean it is his dad even though they could have like all kind of issues but it's, mm-hmm. it's a dad lots of people have a lot of issues yes yeah, yeah. still at the end of the day you figure it out yeah. are you excited about the new Barbie movie no not at all <laughs> 
<laughs> Why not? Why a lot of people are very excited about the Barbie. Did you have Barbies as a kid? Uh, no, I didn't. All right. Well, you uh, had other dolls. Yeah, I have my first. Uh, uh, I told you about this. It was like a doll. Like mm-hmm. a, it was like in, in a little like a a white hearts. Yeah. You put batteries on it, and it kind of like walk. A oh, you bit. had yeah, right. You had the white horse too. What happened to the horse? Uh, I don't know what happened, but I remember when I was like in second grade in uh, high. I mean, in school. Mm-hmm. I was like seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of like the rich uh, girls got her Barbie. And the whole classroom went crazy about the Barbie. And I was like, what is that so special? Because it's just uh, a doll. Yeah, yeah because I didn't know about the brand, too. Yeah. I was like, it's just like a stick of like a doll. And you said that was one of the <laughs> richest kids in your yes, school in Mexico. Yes, yes. That got one Barbie, yes. the regular Barbie. Yeah. So this is why you don't care. Barbie's not going to be a popular thing in Mexico. No, it's not. Okay. I don't think so. Right. Only, I mean, through my generation, I don't think so. All right. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, they're shutting down beaches in uh tourist places throughout the world uh, because they say that a lot of people are very disrespectful, uh, disrespectful to tradition, all kinds of stuff, young people uh, doing selfies and things they shouldn't be doing. Um, Do you think that that's something that makes a lot of sense in the world of fancy beaches and fancy areas and how crazy people can be or how uh, dumb people can be just focused on their phone, doing whatever they're doing? And I know as I say that, you criticized me at lunch today paying too much attention to my phone. Yeah. So I know that it's a feeling a lot of people have, but I, I think that it makes sense uh, that some of these places are like, look, no one's listening to us. Uh, we have areas of this beach that we consider to be important that you can't like do stuff on. And so now that people are doing all kinds of dumb stuff, the only option we have is to, to close it till people care about the things we're saying, not in the United States, but other places in the world. What yeah, think? I, I think it is a good idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, kids or young people are dying because they are doing so much selfish when they yes. travel. Yeah. And they don't. They, they don't, are. And they don't care about the restrictions or like the warnings. Hey, don't take a picture around here. Mm-hmm. They just do it. And sometimes they, uh, yeah, fell down or like sleep through the mm-hmm. river or whatever it is. All right. I yeah. want to bring up one other thing. Uh, and this is a little bit of a risk, but I'm going to do it. And I didn't All tell right. you it was going to come up. Uh, there's a hashtag on social media. Hashtag. And uh, we're going to a fancy wedding uh, this weekend. Yes. We're very excited to see some of our friends get married. Yeah. Uh, it should be a really good time. Uh, but because I, I think the wedding might be a bit fancy, uh, we bought you a fancy dress. Yes. And uh, the fancy dress has like a trail at the end of it. Yeah. Like it's, you yes. didn't like that part, right? Well, that it it kind of drags on the ground. Person. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, here's the hashtag. The hashtag is flying dress. And apparently a lot of people are very, that's real. Hashtag flying dress. A lot of people are very happy to get super long, crazy dresses right now. Yeah. 52.6 million views on social media. Photographers wow. taking pictures yeah. of people uh, doing all kinds of things. And yours is not as ridiculous as the ones in these photos. Oh, really? uh, but apparently it's trendy to have a, trendy. a dress that drags on the ground. The tra- yeah. yeah. Well, you know how I'm a ger- uh, do you know that I can I feel like sometimes I could be a germophobic a little bit and sure. uh, and growing up I, I actually my mom always when uh, before we go to bed she always used to tell us clean your shoes because you, tomorrow you're gonna go to school and you have mm-hmm. even you have though to look you, nice. yes even though your shoes are old or whatever they need to be clean I got gotcha. so. Uh, 
I just cannot picture the the material the of gown the gown and walking on the ground and uh, sweeping all over the place. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, oh my God, no. All and right. especially in Chicago, mm-hmm. like uh, the things I have seen on the buses and the trains. And We're not going to go on around. those. You're not going to go on those. I you, know, but you'll, Navy you'll, Pier. You'll be in the fancy like car. We'll be in the Uber or whatever, and then we'll get to the Navy Pier, and then you'll I, get I'm, on the, the I'm, boat. I'm not from this planet. I'll carry you the whole way. <laughs> I'll carry you all. How does it sound good? Yes. I will carry you all the way down the and pier. Yeah, yes. <laughs> like I, a no, no, no. I'll do it. I'll do it the right way. I'll do it with you know uh, my hands out, and you can just lay across them, and I'll bring you all the way out of the boat. Okay. And then I'll bring you off the boat at the yeah. end of the night. Does that sound good? I don't want you to have a heart attack. I'm heavy. <laughs> <laughs> You're not, and I won't. I'll be fine. But I love that. Uh, do you have a word of the day for today for us? You're teaching yes, us Spanish, uh, one word at a time. Um, I love that we're doing this. People comment on this all the time. I had a guy uh, the other night. I was at Kelleher's. Yeah. I walk up to me and tell me uh, two things. Yes. Uh, he's like, I don't hate that you laugh all the time, Craig. And I was like, thank you <laughs> for saying nice. that. And he, he goes, I knew you were going to react, so I wanted you to know. Yeah. I, don't, I like it. Yeah. Uh, and then also, I love Betty's word of the day. Oh, that's all. Thank you so much. Thanks I mean, so I, um, to be honest, sometimes I, I research and sometimes, uh, I have like just a word that I'm thinking about in the moment. I was like, Oh, I'm going to talk about this when I jump on the show with Greg. And so that happened today. I was thinking about something and, uh, and I was thinking like, okay, I gotta go to, uh, the house and, uh, cook something and I'm gonna use my blender. That I don't like. <laughs> Why don't you like your blender? And because uh, uh, the motor in it, it has a motor in the top of the ba- the base. Yeah. And so you gotta push it the whole time for. Oh yeah. Uh, until you can't lock it. You cannot lock it. Yeah. It's just that like you have to push it and be there until. It's one until... of the Nutribullet things we got. It's here, a so. ninja. Ninja. Okay. Yeah, we're fine. I can get you. Do you want a different blender? No. So it was like <laughs> I need. Uh, that's this word. Craig doesn't know. It's it's the name uh, of a blender in mm-hmm. Spanish. All right. So the name of a blender, uh, I mean, the, the trans, translation, yeah. it is uh, Liquidora. Liquidora. There you go. I, we, we bought a Liquidora for your mom one time. No, Liquidora. Liquidora. <laughs> <laughs> we bought a Liquidora for your mom one time. Do you remember that? Yes. We were in Mexico, and your mom said that hers, she didn't like it. Jeans are very strong. Your, your yes, family's yes. jeans mom are... doesn't like plastic no. base for a Liquidora. Even, even though I don't understand everything your mom and dad say, because they speak no English and I don't speak very much Spanish, like I can tell when you're yes. similar... And your mom was complaining about a, a Liquidora in, yeah, in Mexico. The base, it was a plastic And then you and I base. got in the car. We drove to like a market and we negotiated. You remember? I actually yes, even got the price down. Again, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I brought back a cheaper Liquidora. <laughs> uh, that she was very happy Gla- with. with. The glass. With yeah. glass. So we got to get you one now. Una Liquidora. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, are gonna, you are going to love this, but I'm not going to like it because it's, it's like uh, the prices of like a smart... Liquidora. Oh, oh you, want a, you want a smart liquidora. Oh my god. Uh-huh. It's super cool. But of course <laughs> of course I'm not gonna get that. I'm just gonna get something like I can just push a button no, and no, no. leave it there. The one for where a you while. like tell Alexa to turn it on and off? Yes. Okay. Isn't that crazy? I didn't know there were like a smart yeah. uh, liquidora. And I'm I'm fine with you want one of those. I gotta be honest, if you're loading the, the blender and then putting it on the other area to blend it. Not hitting that button feels weird. And I know I say that as a guy that loves the fact that we can turn our lights on and off, but we can turn our lights off from other rooms. You yes, like that. Yes. yes you yes. like it. We go upstairs. We're ready for sleep. We I forgot to turn to lights off. I just dislike it because like Alexa didn't like me at the beginning. No. I was like, I don't understand. I don't understand. Now that. it understands you better. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But um, now you want a smart blender that you can say to turn on and turn off 
even it, though is it, I mean, uh, it, but it can't like, get stuff out of the fridge and put it in the blender to blend. It can't do that. Oh my part. god, no! Craig. That would be the best. But the thing is, like you know, sometimes how my stuff is like I'm like cooking two or yes. three things at yes, the same I, time, yes, and even in the this. oven, yep. and then I have to run uh-huh. to to push the uh, yep. that motor in the blender and be there for I don't know. 30, like 40 it. seconds, you, and I'm like, I need to flip that rather, tortilla over you'd there. You'd rather just tell our smart house to turn the blender on. I get it. We can figure it out. We can make it work. It'll be fine. I'll take out a small loan if it's that expensive <laughs> no, from the Bezos. No, it's not that yeah, expensive. That's great. I, one other thing real quick before I let you go because you reminded me. Um, you used to work in a kitchen at yes, Whole Foods to. in Chicago, yeah. and you do a lot of stuff in our kitchen, and yeah. I don't do a lot of stuff. I'm not a good cook. But when I walk behind you while you're cooking, you do yell at me to tell you behind, 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 you, behind, 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 because <laughs> it's like a real kitchen. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. You want me to announce myself yes, when I'm walking yes. behind you? You are just like all over the area, and our area in the kitchen is super yeah. tiny, and I don't, don't want to like, like burn. You yeah, want me but... downstairs, upstairs, somewhere, yeah, not in the kitchen? Of, out of the kitchen. Yeah, okay, cool. Fantastic. Yeah. Quick break, a lot more. Thank you, buddy. Liquidora, the yes, word of the day Liquidora. today. I think I'm doing it right. Yeah. Okay, good. Fourteen seventy, one hundred point. Three WMBD more in a bit. Fourteen seventy one hundred point three WMBD. It's the Craig Collins show. Let's dive deep into a conspiracy theory, shall we? Uh, let's do that on the old radio uh, right now. Uh, there's this viral video. I think it's on TikTok um, of uh, two people. Uh, the first guy is trying to throw the question out there about who and why people want to look at your receipts when you're walking out of places uh, like Costco or Sam's Club. Uh, people that are doing it for loss prevention. And then another guy who says the big reason he doesn't like to do it is really more about how they screw up his receipts and his QR codes. But I think the intention of part of – I was kidding about conspiracy theory. Uh, the intention of part of this is to wonder if there's an ulterior motive uh, for people looking at that other than just loss prevention. Uh, here we go. wonder who the people checking the receipts like at Costco and stuff, who they're really protecting you against is what you're protecting. So I am that guy that every Costco employee or Target or Walmart employee hates because I will not show my receipt. I get it. Won't they're do trying it. trying to do their loss prevention. Um, but honestly, the thing that annoys me the most, I think it started with, I like to scan all of my receipts when I get home. Um, I keep them all on my NAS for at least 47 years. That's a long I time. hate when I go to one of these supermarkets or one of these clubs and they take a Sharpie and they just write all over my receipt. Because they ruin it, it. They ruin his receipt. Oh, wait, hold on. This up my ability to scan it in OCR. So you, you can't scan it and then you, you can't, uh, you know, uh, record it correctly. Uh, I got to be honest. Teach their own. Yeah, live your own life. Do whatever you need to do. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. But I've never seen that before. I've never seen someone try to resist that moment uh, where they're trying to scan the receipt and you're like, no, uh, there's reasons I don't want you to look at my receipt. And then how that all plays out. Um, and I would kind of like to see that happen just because I'd like to understand it better. It doesn't seem like anyone's actually stealing stuff. And I don't know if it's – again, it's not an objection I've ever thought of to have to a thing. And I don't save all my receipts for 47 years, so I'm not – I'm not meticulous in a way that might be a real reason that someone says something. But I just thought it was interesting, and it actually sparked a lot of debate and conversation on social media and people asking questions. I like the one I said uh, where they're wondering why people are even doing this. Is there some sort of information gathering going on, or is it just uh, people making sure that you really only have 13 things uh, in your cart if you bought 13 things? And uh, I feel like it's option two. Uh, Every time I go to Sam's Club, at least, I'm not a Costco uh, but I'm a Sam's. Uh, I feel like they just count them and they just look at me and they're like, all right, we're good. Everything's fine. It's actually digital. 
it's in my phone, so they can't even mark it and ruin it and whatever. <laughs> but I, I didn't know that was a thing. And if you're a person who feels a way, um, not that I think there might be many people out there that feel a way about this, uh, but give me a shot, 309-340-4464, 309-340-4464, and help me understand the risk because I, I don't totally understand it. Uh, other things out there, I thought this was interesting. Uh, Wesleyan University in Connecticut has said that it will stop giving legacy admissions a more valuable path to acceptance into their their prestigious school uh, than other uh, candidates, meaning that uh, people who have uh, donors or wealthy family members that uh, work with the school or people that attended the school uh, will no longer have a leg up. I remember right after um, the change in affirmative action and some of the things that make it harder for colleges to say, admit people based on on race or based on anything else in that world, uh, that this was a a threat uh, that almost seemed to pop up on social media. Like, well, if you're going to do that, we should also do this. And what was funny to me about it then is a lot of people would be like, yeah, that's fine. Okay, let's do that too. Uh, Let's let people just based on their merit and merit alone get into the schools they're most deserving of getting into. I don't think anyone wanted to resist one by by allowing the other. And I do think at times that's part of a a flaw in how we talk about a lot of things. I think that saying that I don't agree with that or I don't uh, think that that's something we should be doing, whatever the topic is, I don't have to be specific about it, uh, means that you must be for the exact opposite or whatever the thing is you're saying you're not in support of. And that's not how people live their lives. That's not how people go about their day-to-day business. Uh, It's honestly a very illogical reaction, I think, in some ways to even having some of these discussions. All right, other stuff out there that I thought was interesting. Uh, The actors are on strike. The writers are on strike. Hollywood is striking. Um, And people might not care is one thing that's a question that's legitimately out there. I think it's the first time both the actors and the writers have been on strike at the same time in a a very long time, since like the 60s or something. Um, And again, I wonder if people uh, will pay enough attention to have it matter enough uh, where the uh, movie uh, business or the, you know, uh, owners of all these companies can really just wait out the famous people and all the not famous people who don't have as much money. Uh, But there was an article that talked about the first thing, I think BuzzFeed put it out, that famous people bought uh, when they got a crap ton of money um, because they're they're famous. Um, And I thought some of these on this list were actually pretty cool and pretty interesting. Uh, Timothy Chalamet uh, bought nosebleed season tickets for New York Knicks games uh, when he first cashed in one of his sweet, sweet actor checks. Uh, Jennifer Aniston bought a Mercedes uh, that turned out to be a terrible lemon of a car, I guess, according to her. Um, Emma Watson bought a Prius, a laptop, and took her dad on a trip. Uh, That part's cool. I I would not spring for a Prius. If I got a bunch of money, uh, and yes, we could win any of the lotteries. Uh, The Mega Millions didn't have a winner yesterday. Powerball didn't have a winner the other day, which means that winning those is terrible. Like, the odds of it is they're so bad. They used to be bad. They've gotten worse. And I was saying this the other day, and I'm going to keep having this as a component of a rant when I talk about this. We shouldn't be happy uh, that the Mega Millions and the Powerball can grow to be ridiculous numbers because it means we're winning less often because they change the rules. And honest, like when it's 100 and something million versus 250-something million, the odds of winning, it doesn't feel like I notice it that much. But what we do, but you can win a billion dollars that's out there or at least uh, a lot of millions of dollars. Or I think, I don't know if the Illinois one, Will, did the Illinois one get a winner yet or no? No, it has not. I think it's still over 19 million. It's like 20 million almost now. 
Yeah, I think so. Okay, so that one would be disappointing to win now in context of all these, as we said before. <laughs> but it's and I'll an say it again. time high for I know, that I know, and you should buy tickets. You go crazy, buy them all, uh, you know, cover your bases. Uh, but if we did all those things, would we buy Ralph Lauren tiles uh, or, excuse me, towels? Uh, that's what Oprah bought the first time she got a fancy I'm Famous paycheck. Uh, Aquafina bought a Gucci handbag. And audio editing software. I don't know why she bought. She bought Adobe Audition and a Gucci handbag. Wow, that's well. Have you ever seen the price of Adobe Audition? Yeah, that's crazy. Craig? Yeah, I know. You, I, we work in radio. Do you know I'm what aware. kind of trouble I had to go through to get Adobe Audition on my work computer? Did you have it now? Yeah. Ooh, look at you. I know. Did that ha- when did that happen? This week? Um, yeah, it happened the okay. other day. Okay. Wow. Uh, you should get like a sticker or something that says "I have Adobe Audition." <laughs> like a decal you put on the back of your car. Is anyone else trying to take it? And use it? Uh, no, uh, okay. TJ also has it. Wow, look at um, that. Julia's supposed to get it, but she's okay. on vacation, so we can't get into her computer. Any, any word about this guy getting some of that? Any, um, any word about this guy? Um, this, let me, the face uh, guy right yeah, here? I, okay. I know who you can call about that. <laughs> we talk. We'll talk about it off the air. I didn't talk to that guy, uh, but you, you got, can talk to him. You got the news. 1470 is an AM, 100.3 is an you FM. How great all the cuts sound now with Adobe <laughs> Audition? Well, you can actually normalize them, so they're not all over the world <laughs> volume-wise. Normalize. I know, okay. <laughs> 1470 is an AM. 100.3 is an FM all over the internet. 1470. 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. It's time for the top five at five. Uh, This is where I talk about the five biggest stories of the day in no particular order, according to just me. I built this list entirely on my own, and you can disagree with me. Uh, You can send me a text. You can tell me what you think uh, was a bigger story. That's fine. Maybe I'll do like some of your five at 540. Or 5.30 if I get enough text in every single day. Uh, But it's the top five at five. As I said, I have unilateral control of how I discuss these things. And I'm waiting to play the sounder as soon as it starts to work. Because there's music. There's fancy music that gets us into this segment. And here we go. It's time for the top five at five on the Craig Collins Show. Flawless. Perfectly done. Uh, I want to start here, actually. Um, The whistleblower conversation is one that definitely feels like a top five at five, uh, partly because of how the second whistleblower, uh, who used to be known as just um, Agent X, has described himself and why he thinks uh, that people have told him that he is a more valuable whistleblower. But before I do that, I want to play something else. Um, and there's a lot of audio I could choose from of Democratic politicians saying, hey, this doesn't matter. This is crazy. Everybody, this is a sham. Uh, people are going nuts about stuff that isn't important. Uh, but my favorite one of those was probably this one. Uh, from a Democrat that said that if we're really going to go after uh, people for tax evasion, why don't we go after the biggest fish of them all, millionaires and billionaires as a collective group? And the funny thing about it is when you say it this way, you're demonstrating that you don't think the biggest fish of all is potentially a connection to the guy in the office as our, our president in the white. I feel like that's a bigger fish than anybody else, but apparently this Democratic politician feels differently. So, Mr. Chairman, I'm interested in whether you could commit in short order to holding a hearing about holding billionaires and big corporations accountable for evading their taxes. I think this could be a bipartisan hearing. It could result in reductions to the deficit. And if we have interest in holding folks accountable on tax evasion, I think we should be looking at the biggest fish we can across the board. We're starting here today. (laughs) No, but I'm... I love that response from Comer, by the way. We're starting today. We're, I think we're going for the biggest fish we can, guys. Uh, this is the son of the president. And some have said, the whistleblowers have said, that they were um, prevented 
uh, from doing things that would have investigated scenarios that could have eventually led back to the president. Uh, there is also the other audio out there that I like. Uh, I'm not going to play. I, I don't care enough to play it, uh, where a politician was trying to say that Biden wasn't the president at the time when this occurred. He was pushing very forcibly uh, to see if the whistleblowers would admit that. But was Biden the president? Uh, darn it. And both whistleblowers kept saying he was the nominee on the Democratic side of the aisle and the blocks that existed within the bureaucracy of, of the part of the government that we work for uh, cared that he was the nominee. It didn't necessarily like take orders from the president of the United States, who was Trump at the time, of course. Uh, we are complaining about the way that the IRS prevented us from getting all the information we wanted about this. We're not complaining about Biden himself being in power and saying no, uh, showing up at the IRS and being like, you guys, stop it. And that's not actually the accusation. So it's funny to try to disprove something no one is saying necessarily is the way in which they're trying to hold people accountable for this. Uh, but I do want to play uh, the audio itself, the viral moment, uh, before I move on from this story. Uh, and I won't play as much this time as I played the last time. But the second whistleblower to come forward uh, used to be an unknown name, uh, Agent X. And actually, people made a lot of fun of the fact that the second guy was anonymous and we, we didn't know who he was or, or she was. And that, that probably meant that they were even less credible uh, than the first person that went forward, uh, Gary Shapley. Uh, but the thing about it is uh, the person who appeared today in, you know, human form uh, as, as an actual guy uh, is someone who describes himself as a Democrat and someone who is married to another man. Uh, so he's LGBTQ. And he said that identity politics reason is why some are telling him he's more credible uh, than his coworker that he says is as credible as he is. I've recently discovered that people are saying that I must be more credible because I'm a Democrat who happens to be married to a man. I'm no more credible than this man sitting next to me due to my, due to my sexual orientation or my political beliefs. The truth is my credibility comes today from my job experience with the IRS and my intimate knowledge of the agency's standard and procedures. He went on to say that he was even worried about um, any potential harm to him uh, or his career for sure, and that he hopes he is a, a um, role model for LGBTQ uh, individuals who see him doing the right thing. And he said he tries to do the right thing a lot. Uh, that is fascinating because however sad it is that this is true, it will be a much harder individual to ignore on the sides of the aisle that want to ignore every part of this or the news agencies that want to ignore every part of this, uh, because now you can't accuse the person uh, coming forward, even though you shouldn't have been doing that in the first place with the first person of being some crazy, uh, you know, uh, Trump supporter who's just saying whatever they want to say and doing whatever they want to do. Uh, that is not at all how this individual describes himself. Top five, five. Let's get to more. I just like this audio. I'm just going to play this quick. Uh, this is probably not a top five and five story. But Nancy Pelosi said that uh, our president is a young man because, well, he's younger than she is. Again, age is relative. What, I, I was in L.A. Uh, for some Democratic stuff recently, and I met with Norman Lear, who's 100, going on 101. He was telling me some <laughs> new shows he was involved uh -huh. in. I was meeting with Frank Gehry, a 90-something architect, showing me new buildings. He's building throughout the world. Okay. Uh, and uh, they were like, 80, he's a kid. 80, he's a child. He was falling asleep the other day while he was meeting with the uh, Israeli prime minister. But he's, he's, he's a baby uh, who's falling asleep uh, because of his youth, not because of his age. Yes, age is just a number. 
Uh, some people live longer than other people. Some people are more capable of doing things longer than other people. Uh, this is true of all walks of life, all situations. I don't know if it'd be a winning argument for Biden down the campaign trail. Be like, I'm younger than Nancy Pelosi, guys. Uh, how does that sound? Does that sound better? Uh, other top five at five, uh, just quickly. Uh, you've probably heard this story by now, but a, a U.S. soldier walked across the um, North Korean border into the uh, country of North Korea. Uh, North Korea is giving us very little information about that, but this was a, a willing decision. Uh, Travis King is the name of the, the American soldier. Uh, we are trying to figure out why a bunch more information. King, 23 years old, joined the Army in 2021, uh, was facing disciplinary action, uh, but crossed into North Korea willfully and without authorization, is what it says. Uh, there's something uniquely upsetting to me about a member of the military, especially since I now get a chance to talk to so many people uh, that served and protected our country, uh, feeling as though fleeing to North Korea was the right decision. And I would want to know a lot more about um, the entirety of this story and the logic of it. I would want to understand it uh, very, very bad. Um, but it's it's certainly a, a sad situation, a confusing situation, uh, because North Korea unlikely to be a good place for that person to choose to, to live, um, and also North Korea unlikely to tell us anything about what's going on. Uh, when asked, I think they did some sort of training exercises. Uh, but that's a big story out there in the news. And then one other big one uh, that I think is a top five worthy story at 5 o'clock, um, Kennedy family members are now going off after RFK Jr. and saying that some of the things he's saying are are bad, I think actually deplorable and hurtful are some of the uh, words used. Uh, this includes uh, Joe Kennedy III, uh, a former representative uh, who condemned his uncle. Um, I, I think I found this in Fox uh, by saying that uh, our Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s claims that COVID-19 was possibly engineered to target uh, certain individuals uh, is something that's been widely criticized and something that uh, he believes is upsetting. And so he said, my uncle's comments were hurtful and wrong. I unequivocally condemn uh, what he said. Uh, here's the one thing I'll say about R.F. Kennedy Jr. and any conspiracy theory uh, that he shares about the government or anything else. Uh, if Robert F. Kennedy uh, Jr., uh, believes that his uncle uh, and his father uh, were murdered by our, our country um, in conspiracy theories of their own, and I'm sure that he does believe some of those things, uh, then how could you ever look a person like that in the face uh, with that kind of unique life experience and tell them, yeah, I don't think that other conspiracy theory you have about the government is right because of anyone on our planet or in our country to believe conspiracy theories and the willingness of the government to do things that shouldn't be done. I'm not trying to say the conspiracy theory is accurate. I'm not propping up that part of the discussion. I don't have the receipts, so I don't know, is often my stance on a lot of those things. But I'm not surprised at any member of the Kennedy family uh, feeling a certain way about certain um, political conspiracies. And again, I don't know the truth. Um, or I know what we've been told, and I have suspicions, I have skepticism at times uh, in the world of um, John F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, or John F. Kennedy and um, all of the other things uh, that we talk about in that world. And I think there's there's reason to still be uh, curious or to, to wonder if more information uh, could be all this time later. You know, it's crazy. I think it was DeSantis that said that, and he wasn't specific about that. He was saying it about anything. He goes, any scenario uh, where the government may have covered something up or changed something or done anything – uh, that would be in the public interest to, to let us know about, uh, that he'd release the Kraken and let us know all those things, because for some of those stories, everyone connected to it or everyone that would be held responsible for it is 
uh, no longer with us. Uh, there's a lot of people who are no longer uh, available to be held accountable for some of the conspiracies uh, within the country. Uh, but on that note, I'll take a quick break. A lot more. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3 WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Uh, probably going to do good story, bad story in just a second here. But I do have a list that I like a lot. And if we uh, go through this list for several minutes, it might be okay. Uh, apparently, this goes viral every so often. Uh, but people talk about a husband who said something dumb in the delivery room uh, while well, his wife is giving birth to their baby. To, even, it doesn't even have to be the first child. It could be child number two, number three. Uh, men say dumb stuff. <laughs> I love a bunch of these things that people are admitting on social media have happened. Uh, the number one one on the list is, that wasn't so bad, was it, that a husband said uh, after a birth experience? And the woman who put that up on social media said she almost punched him in the face. I love, like, if you didn't think it was a big deal, I don't know how that would happen. I've never been in the room for one of those. I feel like I'd think it was a big deal no matter what, though. Uh, but if you're like, eh, it didn't seem so bad. I really worked myself up about it, and really it seemed like she handled it just fine. Uh, that is that is a, a bold human uh, who says stuff like that. Another one is when our daughter uh, decided to make an appearance at 38 weeks. Uh, my husband said, nah, the book says 40. Can't be, can't be happening now. Uh, we're two weeks early on this. I got it scheduled into my – okay, he didn't say all those things. Uh, but he did say the book says 40 as they were on their way to the hospital. Uh, another one, this is a little gross, uh, but I, I find this one pretty interesting too. A woman said that she was having a second or third kid. Uh, and at the final stages, uh, she was on all fours for some reason at the hospital, um, and she went number two. Uh, she didn't just have the baby. She, another thing happened in the world of in the world of biology. And the guy, the husband, was like, I thought it was the head. And then it wasn't when it, it fell and it was something else. And apparently he told, like, all their friends. Like, he was so entertained and amused by it uh, that it was his go-to story of the birth. Uh, the wife did not like that, uh, was not a fan of that situation. Another guy just yelled, oh, my God, oh, my God, why is it doing that the entire time? <laughs> Oh, these really do make me laugh this much. I, I love the the two guys. I would envision them being in the same hospital, you know, like a room apart from each other. The guy that's standing there just yelling, oh, my God, oh, my God, why is it doing that? And the other guy who walks out at the end and is like, that wasn't so bad. It seemed like everything was okay. Uh, a couple more of these because uh, I'm really enjoying them. Uh, one guy asked the doctor how soon uh, we can have um, – relations uh, now that the baby has been delivered. I guess that guy was planning on multiple other kids. Um, one guy said that he told um, um, the wife to take it easy uh, and that they were going to go on a cruise and do all that kind of stuff and that he should probably take it easy too. I love uh, that answer. And then finally, one more, uh, where does it hurt? Uh, where do you think uh, were some of the questions that the guy asked? Uh, well, a woman was given birth. Like, I don't even know. I don't know how to help you. You, you seem very upset. Uh, where does it hurt? Is That's probably one I would say. Out of all the things in here that I think I wouldn't say, uh, if my wife was begging me for some sort of support of some kind, I'd be like, where? What, what do I, how do I help out? And you should really know the answer to a lot of those questions, sir, is the response you'd be given back. All right, I, I'm going to do the good story, bad story, uh, just because I think they're quicker, but I, I like them both. Uh, first, the good story, uh, and I thought this was um, pretty cool, uh, that a, a um, 15-year-old kid in Toledo, Ohio, named Roman, has a rare genetic condition that's already um, um, 
hurt his his body, hurt his kidneys. So his parents had been scrambling to find a donor until they recently got a call from one of his teachers. Uh, one of the teachers of this kid, a math teacher, said he's so impressed with Roman and cared about him so much. Uh, that guy's name is Eddie McCarthy, that he wanted to secretly get tested, see if he was a match and donate his kidney to his student. And it worked out. It all happened. Uh, they even popped up on the Today Show, I think. The University of Michigan Hospital uh, did it. That is a unique amount of like from a teacher to a kid. I don't think I ever impressed my teachers enough where they would want to help me in a situation as serious. I'm kidding a little bit as serious as that one, but that's an amazing story. A way to go. Happy for all involved. And then let's go to the bad story because uh, we give you something to have hope in the society we live in. And then we uh, we take it away because uh, that's how life works. I don't know why I like this one so much, too. 19 year old guy in Georgia doing donuts in the police station parking lot, uh, gets arrested because that's not allowed. I uh, can't do donuts, can't, definitely can't do them in the police station restaurant or the police station parking lot. Uh, and the reason it went viral is because his name is James Brown. And so I don't know if the guy wanted to commit a crime and wanted to commit a crime in a way where you got to take the ID and look at it and also have it go viral. But essentially, after they brought him in and, and did whatever, uh, they said James Brown was just arrested in our parking lot doing donuts. And a lot of people had to be like, what What? What happened? How did this happen? Uh, but yes, that guy, legal name, really is. Uh, and any, honestly, the Brown family, uh, when you name your kid James, I feel like you know what you're doing. And then I feel like it's your fault. Uh, when he grows up and at 19 years old, he does donuts in the police station parking lot and winds up going viral for it. I feel like that's on you for naming him James with that last name of Brown. All right, uh, we're going to take a break. Will's going to uh, do some news. Uh, after the news, we'll talk about some other stuff uh, out there in the world that I do think is is pretty interesting. Uh, we're going to touch a little bit more on some of the politics of the day. Uh, but I probably, it's like 5.30, 5.40 now. I don't want to do a lot of that anymore. So Will will handle the regular news. I'll give you a little news. And then we'll talk about some other things. Uh, 309-340-4464 is the best way to text the show. 309 309- Three four zero four four six four. You can also tell your smart speaker, "Hey, uh, play WMBD Radio," and you'll hear Will Stevenson talk about news. Fourteen seventy, one hundred point three, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Thrilled to have you with us. Lots of stuff, as I always say, to talk about. Um, this is controversial, and it's <laughs> it's weird that this is like a thing that we talk about now in the world. Uh, so there's these guidebooks that are out that are targeting teens. They're supposed to be teens, uh, but they're really written like books that kids could also read. And they're about all kinds of topics, including sex. Uh, there's one that says, Welcome to Sex, Your No Silly Questions Guide to Sexuality, etc., etc. Uh, there's some other things. Okay, fine, I'll just read it. It's the name of a book, and it's supposed to be targeting children. I should be able to read it on the radio. Uh, guide to Sexuality, Pleasuring, and Figuring It Out. Uh, which are all the things in there. In the book, it talks about uh, sex, sexuality of teens, of all genders. Uh, there's a podcast host in Australia, I think, uh, that took to social media to be one of the first ones uh, to bash it. Um, I, I guess my, my biggest question uh, in this world, because I, I want to ask a, a genuine question, and you can answer it if you want to, 309-340-4464, 309-340-4464. Why are there people who want to be the definitive source of information about something that you used to talk to mom and dad about. The birds and the bees, uh, a conversation that someone in that world I uh, used to be the one to, to give you uh, insight and information on. And I know there's a bunch of things that exist, books, and my, my mom, a clinical psychologist, was willing to 
uh, let her kids uh, read certain things at a certain age uh, that she thought were appropriate uh, with her uh, degree in psychology relevant to that part of the equation as far as questions you might ask if you didn't want to ask them to ma, uh, which I did not. And as a as a single parent, it was tricky when you have two boys and they're like, I really want to talk about this with my mom. Uh, you, f- you figure it out a different way. Uh, but there weren't drawings and things uh, like there are in this book. Uh, that I remember, uh, not any of them. Um, but so it's just it's just a weird position to be in where I, I think because some feel as though uh, the desire to, say, control that conversation as parents is, is somehow inappropriate or offensive or something, that there's almost an overcorrection attempt at having this conversation, whether it's in classrooms or, or other places, uh, that would really uh, strip a parent's ability to be someone that would shape something that would be very important to their kids. I'm not saying shape something in a, in a unique way, uh, just in, in general. Uh, shouldn't the opportunity to have um, important life-changing conversations, uh, whatever they might be, uh, be something that we can still trust parents of kids with? Uh, because it seems like what we're saying is no uh, when we have these things out there and they become controversial and people talk about why it seems as though they're written in a way uh, where they would – be for teens, uh, but they're not. They're like I took sex ed in school, in high school. You had the your textbook. You sat down with all the other kids in class. You opened it to awkward pages at times, and it was usually like the gym teacher who was also teaching that other class. They'd be like, "Yeah, these are things. You'll figure it out. It'll be fine." And then you separate to boys and girls and have some other uh, versions of conversations. I don't know why that system was so broken, uh, but apparently it is. And this is the latest controversial uh, back and forth debate thing. Uh, going on about it. Uh, Other stuff out there, I do think this is kind of interesting. Uh, In-N-Out has banned employees in five states from wearing masks to work without a doctor's note. Uh, Those states are Arizona, Colorado, Nevada, uh, Texas, and Utah. Uh, In-N-Out, a pretty popular food chain, burger place, uh, mostly on the West Coast and uh, a little bit in the the South, um, is saying that they don't like the situation of having their employees with masks on uh, because of how maybe someone would struggle uh, to have that conversation. If you're a customer and you come in and you're confused about stuff, uh, or even more than that, it might cause some sort of issues. Um, things like if you're, um, you know, somehow inhaling, uh, you know, I think he uses paint as an example. I don't think any in and out place uh, like paints the middle of their, their kitchen and just tells all the employees, live with it, deal with it. Uh, but any sort of potential a harm uh, being done to someone who's choosing to wear a mask all the time on the job and almost behaving as though it's something the the company is forcing them to do. I don't know. Uh, but it's it's certainly something that's getting a lot of reactions, uh, getting a lot of uh, discussion uh, in this world because, you know, uh, the biggest, most important part of it to me uh, is um, why uh, are we uh, needing to, to correct these things, discuss these things in the first place? It seems uh, unimportant. It seems unnecessary um, because – if we're talking about COVID specifically, uh, most people have long gotten past any any concern there, and most people are also familiar with masks not necessarily being as effective as they told us they were for a while. Uh, it says that people can get fired for this. Employees could face disciplinary action, including being fired if they do not comp- uh, comply. Uh, that's the memo. Uh, California and Oregon both have laws in place preventing employers from banning masks, uh, so that's why maybe the company did not ban uh, masks in those places, but it is an interesting uh, discussion, an interesting question, and then a whole bunch of – I feel like it, it's forever uh, that we're going to argue or, or react or, or have 
discussions about some of those things. And it'd be really nice if it wasn't forever, uh, if we could move on, if we could live life differently. But we're we're stuck in this uh, ridiculous uh, viral circle. I didn't think in in uh, July of 2023 I would still do stories on the radio about masks, mask wearing, companies saying, hey, uh, it's not really beneficial for us if you do that, and then people being uh, very upset. All right. Uh, one other thing I think this is interesting, uh, one in three dog owners uh, claim their dog could survive in the wild without them. A new survey said that two out of three dog owners say, um, you know, yeah, uh, things are, are um, probably not going to go well if our if our dog wound up out in the wild because uh, we are – people who take care of our dog, who love our dog, and have not made it a dog that would do well. Um, my favorite thing about this, though, is I saw somebody reacted uh, to some of this going viral on social media uh, by talking about themselves. They're like, I would probably be even less likely to survive than my dog would be. Even if we're both going, uh, the dog would make it longer. I wonder how many people that's true for. Uh, it might even be true for me. I'm not sure. Uh, but your dog, not suited to be out in the wild because it's not a wild animal anymore, uh, may do much better than a lot of humans if uh, we have a week, two weeks, a month uh, where you uh, don't have any way to get back indoors. Uh, 27% of dog owners say their dog would need a jacket if the weather dropped below 40 degrees. 16% say their dog would need a poncho if it rains. And 12% say they would need booties if their dog was in weather outside that is bad. That's not about your dog getting away or trying to live on the lamb. Uh, that's just in general. Uh, people who feel they need that level of protection uh, for their pets. I love my dog. My dog is awesome. Uh, my dog does not need booties, uh, at least that I'm aware of. In any situation, I can handle it, can figure it out, can can be just fine. Uh, 44% of dog owners also said that their dog sleeps in their bed with them and half feed their dog a healthy diet that involves pet-safe fruits and vegetables uh, like carrots, apples, seedless watermelon, and berries. Uh, my dog eats mostly uh, dog food and seems very happy uh, with the, the situation we provide, and then a lot of treats. Uh, there are certainly a decent amount of treats. All right, I'm going to take a break. Uh, a lot more coming up in a bit. Uh, 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. 1470, 100.3, WMBD. It's the Craig Collins Show. Thank you to everybody who texts me. Uh, so many texts coming in every day on the show now, which is cool. Uh, you can save the phone number, 309-340-4464. I saw a um, survey, an interesting um, thing that went out there in the world uh, that said the best and worst states to live in. And uh, what's hilarious about this study or this survey, uh, I think CNBC is the one that put it out, is it was very, very political. Uh, when it said there were terrible states to live in, states that are getting D's and F's as places like Indiana, uh, places like Alabama, uh, places like uh, Texas uh, were on the list, number one spot as far as terrible places to live. Uh, a lot of people don't seem to agree with that. Uh, Oklahoma, Louisiana, other states mentioned best states to live in. Um, not surprising the list here, New Jersey, uh, Maine. Uh, I like New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey. Uh, Vermont, Hawaii uh, came in at number five, uh, by the way, which is nuts because that's got to be the right answer. Uh, New York, Massachusetts, a bunch of places that would lean a certain direction. So when you dive into the why, uh, why do they describe some states as great and some states as terrible? What was their scoring metric? Uh, this is the best part. Uh, it says that the things they cared most about were crime rates, environmental quality, health care, and then they went on. Inclusiveness of the state, voting rights, reproductive rights, protections against discrimination, and the quality and availability of child care. And so a lot of people, and one of the reasons I think I wanted to 
to bring this up today is because Indiana, so close by us, is on this list. A lot of people are saying that this is absolute trash, that it's it's absolute – and especially uh, Texas uh, being at number one. Uh, lots and lots of people are very, very happy uh, to be from that state. So I, I don't know when those things uh, became things that we needed to do as well. Uh, it just seems very stupid. It seems very dumb uh, that you put the list out, that you have – uh, all the reactions to the list, and then you you live in this world where people go, okay, I can ap- absolutely tell that you had no interest in actually uh, doing anything other than making a political statement and listing a bunch of states you don't like for some of their political decisions. Uh, other things out there that I thought were interesting, uh, the Barbie movie has uh, secured a high Rotten Tomatoes score. It's not even out yet, uh, but a lot of people who are reviewing it as uh, viewers, not just as the the people who review these movies, are saying it's amazing. Um, I saw a viral uh, post, a viral um, video of I think this is just young people joking. Uh, two dudes that were going to go see the the Barbie movie, not together. Uh, they're just both friends who show up at the same time to see the movie. I, I don't think I have any interest in this at all, and I think the only reason I'm even talking about it, not that I, I think it would be bad, not that I refuse to go. If my wife wanted to go, I would go. And it might be funny. It might be good. I don't know. Uh, there's there's something about it that doesn't. I remember as a kid growing up, um, and my I had two two older sisters, and they always wanted to play Barbies, and I was like the little brother, as the third wheel, and so I'd grab uh, GI Joe or Ken, and I'd start kicking the Barbies. <laughs> I do remember doing that with my my toy, and then they'd tell me I wasn't allowed to play, and I, I didn't know what I was doing wrong, and so I I'm interested to see. Uh, why so many people think uh, that this movie is such a great uh, whatever statement it is uh, against something in our society. I think that's what it's going to be. And maybe maybe it will be great. Maybe it will be hilarious. I I don't know if I'll see it anytime soon. Uh, But uh, people let me know if you go out, if you see it and you think it's it's awesome. Uh, You know what? Actually, it's just fine. I'll I'll say one other thing. Yes, Barbie to someone who just texted. Yes, uh, something I'm talking about. Uh, You had a few of them growing up, but you never played with them a lot. Uh, Thank you for that. Uh, letting me know. Um, I, tell me if you're planning on going to the, the movie. Uh, but one other thing I was thinking about just kind of in that same vein is you've got that movie out there that people have been talking about for a while and saying how how terrible it is uh, because not only is it telling a true story, a true story which is uh, tough for a lot of people to watch, a very different movie uh, than the Barbie movie, the Sound of Freedom movie, uh, but it actually then gets bad reviews and people uh, gave it um, bad scores because they think it's propping up a conversation about something else, about something that's not necessarily in the movie, uh, but is is somehow connected uh, to the movie, um, things about child trafficking and whatnot. I think one of the NPR uh, headlines I remember is QAnon supporters promoting this uh, means it's bad. Um, it, it's interesting to think uh, that we live in a world where a documentary or well, not a documentary, it's, it's a, a movie that uh, recreates a true story. I shouldn't call I don't mean to call it a documentary. Uh, but uh, and I haven't seen it yet, uh, that that can be so derided, so attacked, so something. And um, another movie, the Barbie movie, uh, which is another texter who just texted me, said it clearly sounds very woke. It might. I don't know. I, I have no idea. It sounds like, yes, it could be. It sounds like it might be a lot of things uh, that are that are very much statements that some people will check out of. And actually, you know, what? I, I'll say something. Else. This is different. The writer's strike is going on. The, the actor's strike is now going on in Hollywood. And so a lot of people are going to catch up, I imagine, on things uh, that you haven't watched, depending on how long that goes. And I think it could go a while because uh, I don't think that Hollywood is as influential 
uh, in our day-to-day society as it used to be. I think that people would be fine if they stream stuff, especially after coronavirus, if they stream stuff for a bit. Uh, So the reason I even wanted to mention this, different than the popularity of Sound of Freedom and the way in which it's being more attacked than reviewed positively, and then the potential popularity of a Barbie movie uh, in our our country, um, is the idea that you might dive back into your Rolodex or back into your streaming service or whatever uh, thing you got and watch stuff that's very, very old, uh, that would be, quote-unquote, inappropriate uh, in the world in which we live today, and yet that stuff might actually wind up being more entertaining, more interesting. Certain comedy, if you dive back um, far enough in the world of comedy, uh, there might be young people. I'm a millennial. Uh, maybe some Gen Zers that would get very upset about the jokes, uh, but they also would probably be much more entertaining uh, than the comedies, many of the comedies of today. Uh, because, and I, I should play this audio. I've referenced it a few times, and I haven't actually played it yet. Uh, but there's a few different um, actors and, and comedian people uh, sitting down and talking about how difficult it is to write comedies today and have them actually get funded, have studios that are actually willing to pay. And be a part of it. Um, another thing out there, and I guess this is just uh, something that kind of I feel like fits into a lot of these buckets that I'm suddenly talking about, um, is the Try That in a Small Town song. I mentioned this earlier. I didn't read uh, many of the lyrics, uh, but I'm tempted to actually read uh, more of them or even maybe play uh, a little of the song on the air um, because this got banned uh, by uh, CMT and some other places. And the accusation is that uh, Jason Aldean's song is essentially threatening people, uh, that if you go live in a small town, uh, you're going to be attacked, beat up, uh, killed, uh, whatever it, it might be uh, that they're saying the, the aggression in this song is, uh, because it references uh, that you can't get away with certain things in a small town, you get away with in a big city. And I, I guess, um, not to be overly preachy, uh, the whole segment, but what I find so uniquely fascinating about uh, this, this song And here, I'll I'll read some of the lyrics to you so you actually fully understand it if you're not aware of this. Uh, It says, sucker, and I'm going to do it the way that some people wind up getting in trouble and going viral because it doesn't sound like an actual song. It sounds dorky. I get it. I can't help it. Uh, We're going to do it this way. Uh, Sucker punch somebody on a sidewalk, carjack an old lady at a red light, pull a gun on an owner of a liquor store. You think it's cool. Well, act in a fool if you like. Uh, Curse out a cop. uh, Spit in his face. Stomp on a flag and light it up. Yeah, you think you're tough. Well, you're not going to get away with that, essentially. The actual lyrics. Well, try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. And so people are upset and they're mad. And they're saying that this song somehow props up stuff uh, that's bad to prop up. But I, I truly believe, I genuinely believe uh, the toughness, the strength, whatever it is uh, that's coming out in this song is more because small towns are, in fact, places where you can't run and, and hide. Uh, where everybody knows each other and where there winds up being more safety, uh, less things happen. Uh, because if you did do something uh, like carjack an old lady at a red light, uh, people would know who you are and where to find you and they'd catch you. And I honestly do think that's the sentiment of the, the intention of it uh, with the, the toughness, the whatever you call it, pride of people who are from small towns. And what I like so much about the fact that it's making people mad and I'm not a person who's, you know, intent to make people mad, but is how little people seem to understand what a small town is. When I go to Mexico uh, with Betty and I go to her little tiny town uh, where all of the people who live there are farmers and it's only a, a few hundred people, I acutely understand uh, what they're singing about in this song. Now, granted, uh, Betty's small town has its own issues because 
of the country she's in and some of the uh, the narco, the uh, cartel who control it. Uh, so there's a lot of things you can get away with in Betty's small town. It's not uh, like this song. Uh, but the American version of this and the discussion about this should be something people are more uh, proud of. Uh, if someone were to uh, carjack an old lady uh, in an area where you could figure out who they are very quickly and not saying our police don't do a good job, I don't know why that's not a good thing. I, I just I know this is a weird, heavy topic to end the show on, uh, but I was thinking about it today. If someone pulled a gun on an owner of a liquor store, why would it be a bad thing to be able to catch that person, uh, to be able to figure out who they are, uh, not necessarily to, to kill them or beat them up, but to, to put them in jail? And, yes, I get that this song is saying uh, more threatening things in it, but it is, it is music, and it's country music that's, um, I think, specifically tough uh, intentionally. I don't think that Aldine is, is uh, traveling back to a small town. Uh, to seek vigilante justice all on his own. I don't know. But I, I, I just think the reaction to it and the overreaction, the banning and all that crap of it is just so, so dis- – there's so many conversations. This is what I'll end the show on today, uplifting way to end it. There's so many conversations that happen right now that someone purposefully misinterprets uh, what someone else is saying in order to disagree, fight with them, or accuse them of something, intentionally misinterpreting or finding the worst possible scenario – 